Let's turn our hearts and our minds to the word of God and the reading of the scripture this morning as Travis Ross leads us now. Genesis 27 tells us of when Jacob stole the blessing away from his brother Esau, taking advantage of his father Isaac. Our reading this morning is just a part of a larger story. Genesis 27, 18 to 27. He went to his father and said, my father, yes, my son. He answered, who is it? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you have told me. Please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. Isaac asked his son, how did you find it so quickly, my son? The Lord your God gave me success, he replied. Then Isaac said to Jacob, come near so I can touch you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. Jacob went close to his father Isaac, who touched him and said, the voice is the voice of Jacob but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him, for his hands were hairy like those of his brother Esau. So he blessed him. Are you really my son Esau, he asked? I am, he replied. Then he said, my son, bring me some of your game to eat so that I may give you my blessing. Jacob brought it to him and he ate. And he brought him some wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, come here, my son and kiss me. So he went to him and kissed him. When Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he blessed him. The word of the Lord. We're walking through the life of Jacob, the one whom Israel, the nation, the people were named after, uh, whose name, Jacob, means he deceives. How's that for a name? He deceives. And the one who wrestled with God and won, kind of. Now, to understand this event in Jacob's life that we heard part of what we heard read this morning, we have to get some understanding of what the blessing was in ancient times. This blessing that Jacob wrestles away, although it doesn't really belong to him. And the blessing is probably a foreign concept to us. It was given verbally from the father to the firstborn son. It spoke of the special vocation of the purpose in life for the one who would receive it. It was a time of honor when it was given. It was a once in a lifetime moment. It was a transforming act. It could be given regardless of the birthright, but the greater blessing was usually given to the one who also had the birthright and would accompany that. And of course the birthright involved material wealth. The blessing was a symbolic act that came with just tremendous power. Uh, It was something spoken, it was given with words, and in the Bible, in the world of the Bible, symbolic actions have great power. 
Words have power. Power to shape life. Our world is kind of reduced to the power of words. Um, the power of language is often missed because there are so many words out there um, being broadcast and texted and posted and spoken in an avalanche of information. Everyone has something to say and then really no one has anything to say. Words are used for manipulation and for propaganda more and more in our world. But in the world of Genesis, words that were spoken, particularly by an authoritative figure, had great power. They had great substance. They mean what they say. Words must be handled with respect because they are a means of life and death. The blessing of the patriarch to the son was a positive, affirming, life-giving force. It, it was anticipated. It was hoped for. It was craved. I think the closest thing maybe we have to a life event like this in, in kind of our world is maybe like a marriage proposal or, or that walking down the aisle or the blessing of parents through a marriage. Um, baptisms, blessings, dedications in churches have a, a touch of this, but they are not near the stature of the blessing in the Old Testament. They're similar in that these things all need to go right. You know, proposal blessing. It needs to go right, and so we spend a lot of time and energy making sure that it goes right. And maybe the reason, I think, sometimes for so much brokenness in our lives, so many holes in our, in, in, in our lives and in our families, is that we have ignored what it means to bless. We're so out of touch with this. We who have given our souls to all things rational and flatter ourselves into thinking that we are so sophisticated, so progressive, so advanced in our scientific, enlightened age, we know so little of the power and the beauty of blessing. We've given ourselves so hard to material gain and careers and upward mobility that we've just let blessing slip out of our homes. In our day, blessing still translates into life-sustaining love, encouragement, support, personal investment, it, it, too, today can be verbal and emotional and spiritual and even material. Some of us never received any kind of blessing in our life. Some of us came from places where it was not a source of blessing, and that has become a source of pain in our lives. Isaac has something to give. He received it from Abraham. Abraham received it from God. And it is powerful. I know this whole blessing thing, it, it seems strange to us, and that's why I'm taking time to describe it. You know, we have last wills and testaments, uh, special family moments, but we don't really have anything quite like this. To receive the patriarchal blessing was an honor. Uh, and it mattered in the direction of a person's life in the world. But here's the problem, and this is the thing that should bother us, probably does bother us. The blessing that was given to Jacob, he gets it dishonestly. Dishonestly. Isaac is old, his eyes are weak. He doesn't even know how much longer he has, so he says it's time to do this. And he tells Esau, who's the oldest son, go hunting 
kill some game, make a savory meal as a prelude to the sacred, transforming, life-transforming, long-anticipated moment. That's dad. And then there's mom, Rebecca. And if you know the story, she is the instigator of a deceitful plan to steal the blessing for her younger, favored son, Jacob. And she tells Jacob that she has overheard this conversation, what Isaac has said to Esau, what he's to do. And she tells Jacob first for him to to beat him to the punch, go find two goats out of their own flock nearby so that she can prepare them just like Isaac likes, and then Jacob can bring them to him to get the blessing. Jacob sees problems with this whole thing, but interestingly, dishonesty is not one of the problems he sees. He sees the problem that, well, Esau is hairy, he has a totally different body composure, and, and, and Jacob is smooth of skin, and Isaac might figure that out. Rebecca finds a way to fix that. Jacob also knows how risky it is because he knows the power of the blessing. This thing could totally work against him. There is the possibility of a curse. Jacob says, I would appear to be tricking him and would bring down a curse on myself rather than a blessing. Oh, there are problems with this scheme, but dishonesty is not one of them. Well, Rebecca says she'll take the curse. That Jacob should just do what she says. Wow. What's going on in Rebecca's heart and mind that she would come to this place and do this and think this way? She's the instigator. But Jacob's in full compliance. Jacob comes to his old father deceitfully. He takes advantage of his father's old age. He takes advantage of his father's blindness. He takes advantage of his own flesh and blood. And he exploits his father's vulnerability. Through his own mother, Jacob is tempted. David Roper has written that God allows temptations to show us who we are. Temptations are the means by which God makes us aware of all the unholy tendencies, the motives, the appetites that reside within us. To know and to despair of ourselves is to know our need for God, the necessary prerequisite for handing ourselves over to him for healing. But Jacob puts up no resistance to the temptation, and he goes through with the plan, lying to his father, even to the point of taking the name of the Lord in vain. I mean, when Isaac asks how he found the game so quickly, Jacob says, the Lord your God gave me success. Right there, I'm like, just stop. (laughs) This is a huge lie, and he's, he's dishonoring the name of God. Shouldn't lightning come down right now and just strike Jacob? That's it. This is it. Isaac is wary, but he finally speaks the patriarchal blessing to Jacob. It is given. And it carries material blessing, it carries authority, it carries power. No sooner does Isaac leave than Esau walks in with the savory food and he tells his father he is ready for the blessing. And Isaac comes to realize that he has been deceived, that he has given the blessing not to Esau, but to Isaac. And it says he seized with violent trembling. He is rocked. Isaac convulses this once-in-a-lifetime, powerful, 
life-transforming moment has been swindled. It has been lost. It is like the blessing. It's like the blessing is just this thing that once it's out of the bottle, you can't put it back in. It has a power and a life all its own. And Esau cries and he weeps bitterly and he weeps loudly, realizing he has again been victim to his brother's dishonesty. And when he asks his father, do you, do you only have one blessing, my father? Bless me too. Which is heart-wrenching. And the sad, unstated answer is that yes, there's only one blessing. At least of this stature. There's a lesser blessing that will be given to Esau, but it's not the blessing. And Esau is so angry that he determines that once his father dies, he will kill Jacob. He is so angry that he wants to get revenge and he will get it with Jacob's life, nothing less. So Jacob, the owner of the birthright, the carrier of the blessing, the one whom God will associate his name to, has to flee for his life. Jacob, the deceiver, has wreaked havoc in his family and in his own life, and everything is broken. Two things I just want to highlight this morning about Jacob, this event in Jacob's life. First is the obvious. What Jacob did was absolutely dishonest. Jacob pretends. Jacob manipulates. Jacob wants something, and he will even lie in the name of the Lord to get it. Now, could not he and his mother, Rebecca, for that matter, trust that the Lord would come through? Could not Jacob trust that the Lord had the best for Jacob and that in God's time and in God's way, it would all come? Could he not rest in God's provision instead of going through this complicated scheme? Jacob forces the blessing. He's chosen by God. Though he's the younger, he's been chosen. But could he wait and trust God for God's time and way instead of forcing this issue with his dishonesty? Can we trust the Lord for the best for us? The best for us? I mean, we're sons and daughters of the Heavenly Father, are we not? Doesn't he love us and promise to be with us? But, you know, I think sometimes we confuse the Lord's best for us with what we think is best for us. And we sometimes think the Lord's best is going to be problem-free, pain-free, and fulfillment on demand. And even when the enemy throws his worst at us, though, you know what? God can still use that for our best because he loves us. I wonder if we ever try to wrestle something from God instead of waiting for his time. How many people have forced a direction in life which is really much less than what God would give if they would wait and move with him? How many people have grasped for a lifestyle instead of waiting for God's timing for that to come? You know, how many people have forced a relationship or forced a marriage instead of waiting for God's best for them? And then we find ourselves in conflict with God, with others, like Jacob. So much conflict. You know, honest, honesty is hard to come by. 
Honesty in ourselves is sometimes hard to come by. Jeremiah said that the heart is deceitful above all things and it's beyond cure. Who can understand it? Boy, it's so hard to know what's going on deep down inside of us. It's so hard to know our motivations, what drives us. We don't understand ourselves, let alone understand somebody else. The heart is deep. But I think God gives light to the heart that will be brought to him. And when we bring our heart to the Lord, he gives light. As the psalm prays, search me, O God, know my heart, test me, know my anxious thoughts, and see if there is any wicked way in me. And we can pray this when we desire something or we're considering a certain action. It can keep us honest before God and with ourselves. Here's the second thing about this event in Jacob's life. This story is really not a lesson in morality. The point isn't don't lie and steal, boys and girls, okay? Because I think we probably know that, right? This is about how, as one person so beautifully put it, it's about how faith moves in the rawness of experience. I mean, what a mess this is. Parents are favoring kids. Mom is scheming against the other. Jacob is all about himself. Brother wants to kill brother. We wrestle with what happens with Jacob. We wrestle that a lie is told in God's name. We wrestle that the dishonest are blessed and it works. Surely the blessing that was given to Abraham is now so tainted that at this point it doesn't work. You know, God probably just needs to hit restart and find a much more holy family than this, okay? And let's take this out. God is not disqualified because of our or anybody else's deception. Doesn't mean that God blesses it or wants it or approves of it, no. But God's not disqualified. He isn't driven out of the picture because life isn't always pretty and clean, and all orderly. No, faith can still be lived. You know, this event is one whole chapter in Genesis. I think it's like 45 verses. Travis, you just read a part of it. You have to wonder why so much time is spent on this. I mean, why would the historians of Israel give so much attention to the dirty laundry of an esteemed figure? This is not flattering, in the heritage of the people of God, doesn't make them look real good. Perhaps it's given as an example of how God sometimes works behind the scenes. God works out the plan despite the schemes, despite the dishonesty. God is in the details. You know, we find ourselves in a situation that just looks like such a mess, and yet God can still be there because... The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Who knows how God is moving and working underneath the trouble and the schemes of others? Jesus brought the blessing of God to the whole world despite the deception all around him. We read in the Gospels that he's eating and getting close with tax collectors and prostitutes and sinners. He was lied to. Jesus was lied to. He was lied about. It was deception that put him on the cross. Yet, it didn't stop God from achieving his blessing of redemption, of forgiveness of sins in our relationship with him. God moves through it all. So take heart. 
Jacob and Rebekah's little scheme and the rest of the ugly that we're going to hear about in Jacob's life is not going to erase God in what God wants to accomplish. For that matter, all the ugly that will happen in the people that come from Jacob, the people of Israel, cannot stop the purposes of God. There is a blessing for us. It's not just Jacob. And we don't have to deceive, we don't have to scheme to get the blessing. We don't even have to earn the blessing that Christ will give to our lives. Now, the blessing of God isn't limited to a certain family. It's not limited to just fathers and sons or even spoken words. And it is no longer just about material wealth. The blessing in Jesus Christ has been expanded now to all who have faith. It is peace with God. It is the fruit of his spirit in us. It is that through all the trials and the troubles we have and we may face, that we belong to him. I am a child of God. It is about knowing him and having his reign in our lives. God's blessing is out and it is available to all people. The blessing given to Abraham that continued through Isaac and Jacob comes now through Jesus Christ by faith. Paul writes these words throughout Galatians, that those who have faith are the sons and daughters of Abraham. That Christ redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Can we trust that we who belong to Jesus Christ and as Paul writes in Ephesians, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ, can we trust that we will know those blessings as we walk with him? You know, we don't need to turn to the New Testament and get deep into the letters of Paul to see how God's grace and mercy move. We find God's grace and mercy right at the front in Jacob's life. God graciously watches over Jacob. He protects Jacob. He provides for Jacob, not because Jacob deserves it, but because God chooses to do it. God is working. His big plan is to bring blessing and redeem a broken world. Maybe you failed like Jacob. God will seek us out as he did Jacob, and he will lavish upon us forgiveness and put put us right back into his working. Because God knows what he's about.